Hello, Barry Winbolt here with another episode to help you get a better handle on life. Quick bit of background. I've been a psychologist, therapist, conflict resolver, relationship person and all the other stuff I've done for around 30 years now. It was my second career. I started out as a serial entrepreneur, did quite well at that, travelled quite widely and then settled down to something I could do sitting down as I got older. So I trained as a therapist and I'm still doing it. But along the way, I've also been making podcasts, making a lot of video and above all, writing my daily blog for around the last 10 years, although I have to say it's not so much daily anymore because of other things that I'm doing. But I'm getting better at getting back on track with that, following a complete overhaul of all of my online media recently. It's taken me about 18 months to two years to do all that bit by bit. Anyway, that's me. And getting better handle on life is really about sharing information which will help you get a better handle on your life, sort things out. The ideas here that I'm sharing are things which crop up in my writing with my clients and increasingly these days uh, coming into me from my various online activities so I get questions, kind of ask Barry. And by the way, if you have a question, I'm happy to respond as best I can. And today's podcast is about questions. The questions we ask ourselves, the questions we ask each other, the questions that are asked of us and how we respond. The vital part that questions play in our lives is often not considered. Uh, they're kind of automatic, aren't they? And we get through life stumbling along with stock answers and even stock questions, sadly. And they cause a lot of trouble if we don't get them right. By contrast, when you structure your questions with a little bit of forethought, they become incredibly powerful. And it's not too much to say that you can actually steer your way through life better if you've got good questions. In this podcast episode, I shall also be talking about the questions that get us into trouble, and in particular, that creepy and pernicious little word, why. That really does cause a lot of hassle, a lot of problems. But I'll backtrack for a bit to get started on this problem of questions, or this question of questions. As a therapist, obviously, questions are my stock in trade. As a conflict resolver, a mediator, they're also my stock in trade. And in fact, I was taught a model of mediation years ago when I qualified, which relied only on questions. But we have a, an odd relationship with questions because we're not generally taught to use them. We don't generally think about them very much. And what triggered this uh, particular episode was that I was recently asked to write something on powerful questions. 
And I'll put a link to that in the description of the podcast when it goes when it goes up. So they'll be self-explanatory. I, I don't have to go into that here. But powerful questions will actually open doors. They've been called keys. They'll find not just answers, but also provide a route very often. I think it was Einstein who said, but anyway, somebody smarter than me certainly said, it's not having the answers that's important, it's knowing the right questions. And indeed, many questions don't even require answers. I mean, think of those rhetorical questions we ask ourselves. Why am I so stupid? Or why is this happening to me? Such questions cannot be answered, really, can they? They're rhetorical. And yet that question, why is this happening to me? And particularly if you've ever been depressed, you'll know about this. The way why circulates in your mind. Why me? Why now? Why is this happening to me? All of that stuff drags you down a a warren, a rabbit hole of uh, confusion and uh, a a labyrinth or whatever word you want to use. But it takes you in ever-decreasing circles. There's no end point, though with those questions. You don't get an answer that is going to help you. If an answer should provide a way out, for example, of depression or of your anxiety or your problems, whatever they happen to be, then the answer to that question needs to steer you. It needs to be a beacon. It needs to provide direction. And if it doesn't, the question wasn't very useful. So when people come and see me in therapy, or in casual conversations, as increasingly they do when a problem crops up and people know what I do, so they come and chat with me. They want to have a change. If I start asking dumb questions, stupid questions, questions which simply keep them stuck where they are, or the questions they're already asking themselves, I'm not much help. Time and again throughout my career as a therapist, people have told me when I do a review at the end of our few sessions together, I'm what's known as a brief therapist. I see people for three to six sessions typically, sometimes only one session. I always review at the end. And the point that comes back most often is something was asked of them which they didn't expect to be asked and which got the mind working in a different way. One man said to me eight minutes into the session when I said so, after the nice bits and the odd bit of chit-chat, I asked him what we were going to do today. What what would he like to discuss today? And he said, "Um, we've done it. The session is over as far as I'm concerned. That question you asked me has given me all I need for this week. But apparently I'd asked a question which gave him pause for thought. He was an intellectual. He worked at two universities, he was a very deep thinker, and he just took that question and um, off he went. We did a little more talk, we kept going for about 20 minutes because I wanted to make sure he wasn't just giving up or running away or not addressing something that needed addressing, but satisfied myself and him that that was the the case. And um, off he went for the following week and I saw him a week or two later. 
So that powerful question that got asked, because that's what I do all the time anyway, I didn't have to think about it, I didn't have to plan it. But for him, it worked at that point. And that illustrated something that somebody called Carl Tom, a Canadian, T-O-M-M, by the way, uh, a Canadian uh, family therapist who's been, uh, who's written a lot on questions, a very influential person in the field of family therapy. And he said that a good question goes on working a long time after it's been asked. Milton Erickson, another one of the great icons of the psychotherapy uh, field of psychotherapy, and in particular hypnosis, said that a good question goes on working for up to 20 years. There's no time limit on it, which is the point he was trying to illustrate. Because quite often, and I certainly find this when I'm working therapeutically with people, I ask questions that I don't actually need to be answered. I just want them to have the question and to be with it for a time. And they'll take that question away and it'll keep working, I hope. Although, of course, I can't guarantee that. I'll do my best. So what is it about questions? Well, first thing is we don't really ask very, what I call intelligent questions, very bright questions. We tend to trot out the usual ones. Hi, how are you? Uh, what's happening next? This sort of thing. Now that's absolutely fine for our day-to-day -day going about our lives and getting on with things. But there are many occasions when a good question can save us a lot of time, effort, and get a better result. Whereas a bad question, I'll explain a little bit more what I mean about good and bad as I go through this. A bad question can tie you up in knots and actually keep you stuck with a problem for longer than you need be. See, we travel through life guided by our questions. So it's a good idea to ask the ones that show us the direction we should be taking. They're an essential part, questions are an essential part of how we think, how we communicate, and without them we couldn't think straight nor communicate effectively. So we're using them constantly in our conversations with others and our conversations with ourselves, but we rarely think about how we structure them, and mostly they go unnoticed. They're such a central part of how we think and act and communicate that it'd be really hard to imagine how we could function, how we could manage without them. Occasionally, somebody will say, that's a good question. And just as rarely, we might notice a powerful question because it prompts insight or gets us to think about something in a new way. But we don't think about how we create questions and how we ask them. We tend to notice the effects of questions rather than how they are constructed. So we don't get much schooling in their use and we give little thought to the how and the why of asking questions. Some of us, perhaps, during our training, as therapists in particular, are taught some basic types of questions, like open questions, closed questions. But unless we take the study further, and I was fortunate enough to do that and to be experienced to some people who got me thinking about this way back, uh, 30, 40 years ago, we don't generally do very well with our questions. We don't structure them in a way that is going to carry our conversation or our lives forward. In social situations and even at work, most of us rely on a limited range of questions. They're generally sufficient. How are you? What is that? 
What time shall we meet? These are fit for purpose in a routine way, but not suitable for those times when we need to dig a little deeper to show genuine interest in another person or to carry a conversation towards a satisfactory conclusion. And what about the questions we ask ourselves? Upbringing and education teach us to ask questions, but nobody explained how to ask helpful ones. Taken to an extreme, the habit of asking unhelpful questions like why me or how can I stop failing result in unhappiness or worse. Psychotherapist Marilee Goldberg, who wrote a book called The Art of the Question, which, by the way, I highly recommend if you're interested in in this, and I've got no interest it was in the, in the company that sells this book. I think it's published by Wiley. Uh, it was written back in um, probably 20 years ago now, back at the end of the 90s, 1990s, that is. Marilee Goldberg said, most clients don't realise that many of the questions they already ask both consciously and unconsciously, lie at the source of their discontent. The right questions can open the mind and spark discovery, healing, change and growth. And if you take time to consider how you speak, how you think and listen, you'll quickly realise that questioning is an essential tool for understanding yourself and others. Despite this central importance, most of us are never trained to use questions. They're an aspect of our language that we all use daily, but we rarely stop to think about them. This means that we often don't get the results we'd like and that our conversations can become repetitive and stale. As I've said, it usually doesn't matter. These aren't expected, these day-to-day -day questions, to get great results, and they're not taken literally. For example, when we ask somebody, how are you? We're not expecting a detailed account of their state of health. Other questions are rhetorical, as I touched on at the beginning of this podcast. How could I be so stupid, for example? Is asked in self-reproach. We don't expect an answer. Typically, I reckon we ask hundreds of questions each day, Without realising it, we have to, a constant stream of them running through our minds, as well as the questions we ask of others. Aristotle purportedly said that all human beings by nature desire to know. But when we fail to engage our curiosity and ask questions with a, a genuine desire to know, we can fail by falling into a number of traps. For a start, our quick-fix world expects answers. This misleads us into thinking that having the right answer makes us appear smart and, at work, good at our jobs. In fact, some people at work are identified as clever because they always have an answer. Unfortunately, in our haste to appear positive and in control, we've forgotten that the point of a good question is to uncover relevant information. Asking questions to display your expertise or knowledge has the opposite effect, tends to close things down and stifle debate.
Many of the questions we use aren't engaging. They're formulaic, unpredictable, and can lead to one of those circular arguments which seem to go nowhere. Good questions, powerful questions, on the other hand, can break that cycle and take the conversation in a new and more productive direction. And that surely is the point of something like mediation or therapy or even coaching, that the questions actually trigger something in the mind of the person who is being questioned. It's not a question of putting them on the spot or trying to make them feel uncomfortable. It's trying to light a fire, like the fire of curiosity or, or trigger, stimulate or challenge in some way that gets them thinking differently about the things they are needing to tackle in their life. We like to conform. So though a question might form in our minds, we often fail to ask it for fear of being judged or looking stupid or ill-informed. And I know from my training work over the years too that because I've asked people this precise question because it happened to me, have you ever had a question on the tip of your tongue and you didn't ask it because you were afraid to for some reason. And very often it was because they were afraid of offending the other person, or they were, afraid, they were afraid of appearing that they were interrogating the other person. And yet if the question formed in their mind, there's a good chance it was a question that needed to be asked. But for social reasons we hold back, and sometimes we don't ask those important questions. So being able to pose an incisive and insightful questions might seem that we're trying to appear clever or put somebody on the spot. but Of course, that's not the purpose at all. Sometimes we need questions to elicit something deeper than basic information. When we want to change the direction of a conversation, inspire creative thinking, settle a disagreement, or encourage learning or new behaviour, for example. That's where making a conscious choice to ask a, a powerful question is more likely to get the results you want. In that case, the questions we use must be more carefully crafted if they're to have the maximum effect. They must encourage learning rather than simply looking for answers, and they must open up the conversation rather than closing it down. Such questions are dynamic, driven by curiosity, and they require imagination. There's another point that occurs to me now, which is that those questions often come out of conversation. They can't be prepared in advance very often. This is a really dynamic and creative process because that's how conversation works. And I can guarantee you, because I, this happened to me in the early days of my professional practice, that if you prepare all your questions in advance, most of them will be redundant once the conversation actually gets going. It'll take you in completely unexpected directions if it's working well. After all, if you know where a conversation's going to go, why have it in the first place? Questions and conversations are about curiosity and exploration. Powerful questions can trigger insight, inspiration, motivation, and even change. They can act as a call to action. They go deeper too. When a question works well, it can bring hope, subdue a conflict, ease pain. Some powerful questions go on working, as I've said, 
long after they've been asked. So powerful questions, positive good questions, creative questions, call them what you will, questions which are designed to do a particular job, engage the mind. They can't be answered automatically. They require the person to think about their answer. As a simple example, if I ask a friend why he came to see me, he'll trot out an answer. On the other hand, if I say, what led you to come and see me? He might access completely different information. Well, I was thinking about this and that. As a further illustration, think about some powerful questions which could be used in conversation about conflict or disagreement. Instead of the usual retorts and fighting language, you ask a few questions like, what would you like to have happen as a result of this conversation? Or, how will you know the conversation has been useful to you? Or, if I could give you what you're asking for, how would that help you? Or then again, how do you think we might resolve this together? These powerful questions will get much better results than the usual mudslinging that goes on in an argument. So powerful questions, as I'm calling them, do a number of things. They engage the mind. They can't be answered automatically. They prompt thought and occasionally insight. They require more mental effort before responding, or at least mental engagement. And they may go on working long after they are asked. They also tend to be forward-looking. They ask about possibilities rather than what has happened. Powerful questions show genuine interest and they prompt learning. And they're precise about what is being asked. It's amazing how many questions I get via uh, email and so forth. P questions from people who have difficulties in their lives that they want to tackle. And yet the questions are almost unintelligible or too general to be of any use. And first, before I can answer them, I need to actually inquire more deeply about what actually is it the person is asking for. So questions need to be pretty precise about what is being asked. And in order to construct such a question, it's worth thinking about what you want the question to do. How do you want it to engage with the other person? Good questions encourage attentive th listening. They strengthen a relationship. And in general, they are open questions which require more than a, a one-word answer. In contrast, weaker or less constructive questions can be answered without thinking. They don't uncover any new information. In fact, some people ask questions when they already know the answer, known as leading questions. They simply want the person to confirm something. They discourage a narrative response, so they can be answered, for example, with a simple yes or no. It's not going to take you very far, not going to lead the conversation into more constructive and creative realms. They can lead to circular reasoning. This is when you begin with a belief that you already have the answer, and so you ask questions merely to confirm, as I said earlier, to confirm your understanding 
or to coerce the other person into giving you the answer you want. In the same way, some questions can anticipate an answer. For example, don't you respect me? Or do you love me? And then there are those questions that combine several questions. For example, why are you late? Don't you care? So you've got two types of questions there, neither of which are very productive. But it's also hard to answer a question when you're asked multiple questions like that. There's a lot more that can be said about questions. In this episode, I'm covering some possibilities that are offered by what I'm calling powerful questions. It's not meant to be a masterclass in how to ask questions. But I will put a link to a longer article which will give you some examples of the sorts of questions I'm talking about. I'm also recommending Mary Lee Goldberg's book on the art of the question, and I'll put a link to that too. If you want to ask good quality questions, hone your curiosity. Be curious about other people, not in a nosy or a probing sort of way, in a conversational and curious sort of way, because that will get you better results. A potent side effect of powerful questions is their ability to access new thinking. Think about this for a moment. If you only ask the questions that everybody else has asked, why would the person who's answering be able, in their own mind, to access anything deeper than the day-to-day -day responses they've already trotted out a dozen times? Now, this is one of the great problems in interrogations, as anybody trained in interrogation knows, that if you really want to uncover information that's new, you have to break through or explore past the patterns that have already been the patterns of responses that have already been laid down because that person has probably been asked that question and told that story dozens of times before and of course as we know the mind confabulates it creates it expands on the story it adds information and that's one of the dangers of asking routine and mundane questions, as I've, as I've called them, particularly where interrogation is concerned. And you simply take the person back into a narrative that they've already rehearsed many times before. Good questions ask the person to step outside that narrative without them fully realising that that's what they're being asked to do. And coming back to my own practice again, one of the most common phrases I hear is, Nobody's ever asked me that question before. Well, I couldn't be prouder. At least I'm not repeating what everybody else is doing. This is part of what makes talk therapy effective and also why debate is such a powerful part of education. Another positive is the way that the habits of showing interest and paying attention benefits relationships. It's been said that the first rule of communication is to listen well and great communicators are also great listeners. Paradoxically, people pay more attention to those who ask thoughtful questions and listen attentively. There's no need to grandstand or shout your knowledge from the rooftops. Just ask a few good questions. You'll get all the attention you need. So if I had to come up with some simple rules to guide you about learning how to construct powerful questions, the first would be develop your curiosity. Ask questions in a spirit of learning rather than being driven by the need for answers. Avoid questions that begin with why. 
Now, I said at the outset that I would actually cover why in more detail. And on the hoof here, I've just decided to do that as a separate podcast. So the podcast on why will follow next week. For now, I'd simply say avoid questions that begin with why. It's preferable to formulate questions that begin with what, where, how or who as they engage the mind differently. Try it and you'll see what I mean. Ask forward-looking questions rather than past-oriented ones. Looking to the future reveals uh, possibilities more efficiently. Show genuine interest and positive intent. Your questions shouldn't seem like an interrogation and people who are good at asking questions do it conversationally and it just doesn't feel like the person is being quizzed in any way. They're simply drawing out information in a conversational manner. Now, as a general rule, in a general sense, women tend to be better at that than, than men. And we men sometimes get a bit of stick for that. It's a skill which can be honed and refined relatively easily. The easiest way to do it is to show genuine interest and to make sure that the person of whom you're asking questions looks upon you and your questions or your conversation positively. So in some way you're showing positive intent. And be prepared. Finally, there are five little points I've made here. Be prepared to not know. Not everything has an answer, nor an explanation. And that brings us back again to using questions to explore with an open mind, to develop curiosity and to prolong the journey rather than actually aiming for a goal or a question or a specific outcome. When you want to understand yourself or another person, powerful questions constructed well will lead you to interest and insight. Using a little thought when constructing questions like this means they'll be more effective. And with practice, you can hone your questioning skills, show interest, encourage collaboration, build rapport and bond with others. Ask yourself now, what possibilities could a few powerful questions open up for you. That's it from me for today. Remember that there's a lot more of this sort of information and in particular I've got some uh, blog posts on questions on my website at www.barrywinbolt.com. Please remember to give this podcast a thumbs up by liking it or pass it on to a friend or do both indeed. And if you have any questions for me, email me at info at barrywinbolt.com. And in all cases, that's Winbolt with an N for November, not an M. People quite often make that mistake. So over to you now. I hope I've sparked some ideas and given you food for thought. Thank you very much for joining me. And I'll be back with the second part of this topic in a week or so. Thank you very much. Goodbye.